I'm going to invite up um, our host for this evening. So, dear Moodley, Pastor dear Moodley, would you like to come up, please, sir? And Rev Gareth Dix, if you want to join me as well, why don't you welcome them as they come? And what we're going to do this evening is a bit different. So we're, rather than having uh, a teaching session like we're having tomorrow, uh, what we're having tonight is basically we're going to have a go at doing a live podcast because that's what we do, isn't it? This, this conference, call it that, uh, has come out of the Hammer and Tulip podcast, which me and Gareth started back in 2020. And so we figured that we probably ought to try and make it feel like the podcast that some of you listen to this evening. So that's what we're going to go for. And we've got a friend with us. We're so blessed to have with us this evening, dear Moodley, um, who is going to introduce himself shortly as well. So um, really grateful that you were able to show up tonight. And I think and I hope, God willing, um, that by the time we leave this evening, we'll have had a, a conversation that really does give us a fresh look at the subject of what the gospel is. Because I think we'd all agree, whatever tradition you're coming from, we'd all agree that the gospel and the content of the gospel is of life or death importance, isn't it? And so that's what we're going to be, hopefully, unpacking this evening, is what is the content of the gospel? What is the content? What does it consist of? And so if you've got notebooks and you'd like to take notes, get them out. Hopefully we'll say something that... Um, that is of, of worth. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're going to be looking in Galatians 1. So while we just get set, if you want to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. And we'll just check that Dia's mic is working as well. Is working. Okay. Is Gareth's working? Do you want to just switch that button on there, buddy? There we go. Gareth, would you mind opening in prayer for us and then we'll, we'll get on with it. Our Father, we just thank you so much for this evening and for this conference this weekend. And we thank you for all of us here. And we pray, Father, that you'd really meet with us. And that as we focus on the gospel, we focus on the hope of the gospel and the joy that we have in Christ. We pray, Father, that you would move that even deeper into our hearts. And for those who may listen to the recording of this later on, we pray, Father, that you would meet with us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we thought would be good to do is, by way of introductions to begin with, um, just to give some, some background to our stories. Um, can somebody grab my phone just off the table there? I know this is super... That's it. Sorry, Dave, that's what I was saying. My phone. <laughs> um, we'll, go, we'll start with Gareth. So, Gareth, for those of us who just have no clue who you are, why don't you give us a bit of background to who you are and why this conference is something you wanted to do? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Gareth. I'm an ordained or was an ordained minister in the Church of England for nearly a decade. Uh, so I started training in 2010. So I spent three years in, in Bristol training at Trinity College Bristol for three years and then was ordained as a, a minister in the Church of England. And really for me, my, my kind of concern was that it was feeling like, like it was always a struggle to minister the gospel in the Church of England. And I found it a struggle. There seemed to be a number of problems, which we can go into a bit later on. But 
the thing that I found difficult was that it was it was a struggle to preach the gospel and without being met with resistance. So if I preached on a Sunday morning, for example, and you know just preach the gospel, someone would come up to you and say, "I think it'd be great, isn't it? I love the passion you have for the gospel. I think it'd be great if you went and did something like go into a prison or some sector ministry, or you know go go to a young offenders institute, go somewhere where people are naughty because we're nice people here and we don't need to be told that we need to repent." And so I found that there was always that kind of resistance. So. Fast forward a few years, and, and I got to the point where I found that it was actually affecting employment, uh, and, and it was getting complicated, and it was getting political. And so eventually I found myself last year having to leave the Church of England, and it was, it was tough in many ways, but easy in another sense. Tough in that I'd put, invested a lot into it over the years, but simple in the sense that I recognized that it was like the church had left me. You know, there was, it, it, was, it had left Christ, and, and my desire to follow Christ and be faithful to the gospel was being met with a lot of resistance. And, and, and so last year I left the Church of England and kind of watched the sort of crash and burn with General Synod in February with great interest and recognized I knew that God had actually brought me out of the Church of England before you know, the Titanic was just about to hit the bottom of the ocean. So I'm now exploring a call to be a pastor in a free church. Um, I'm really excited about that and um, lots of good friends like yourselves who are pastors in free churches and I think God's doing wonderful things. So yeah, I would say that my story in a nutshell is really sort of Anglican but having left that to try and pursue faithful ministry. Yeah, thank you, brother. I know it's been it has been a really tough couple of years for for Gareth, um, and you know I want to just honour you as well because you've been a massive part of, of our journey here in Wolverhampton. A huge encouragement, and um, it's it's great having as well. You know, just people from different traditions here tonight. Yeah. That's something that's encouraging. Because obviously, Gareth is an Anglican minister. Dear Reformed Baptist, and I'm coming from a, a slightly different kind of free church background. And I think overall what's encouraging is that there's nobody um, that we've invited to speak um, for the weekend that hasn't kind of paid a cost, that hasn't paid, uh, paid a price for trying to be biblical, I yeah. guess is the word. And that's not trying to say that we're prideful in that, yeah. but each of us in one way, shape or form has had to pay a cost to preach the gospel as we see it. Now, I think um, that's to answer your question as well. You know, well, why, why, why this podcast? Why Hammer and Tulip? It's just for that reason that we want to point to the truth, and we're concerned about the truth, and, and we want and we recognise that when you're deplatformed, as, as we have been at various points, you want to find a way to get the truth out there so people can hear the truth. So, well, so speaking speaking candidly, like you know, this is kind of hard to wrap your head around unless you know exactly what he's talking about. You know. Deep, being deplatformed or whatever, but one one such example would be, I know that you, one of the issues you had in in one particular church you were placed in was they felt your preaching was yeah was harsh, um, was sort of hellfire. I think words you used were hellfire and brimstone. Yeah. <laughs> he said basically was accused of being a hellfire and brimstone pr preacher. We've got one of those here. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm a bit scared of, of Pastor Moodley. But, but yes, I went and listened to his message to see what the fuss was about. And I didn't hear you actually mention hell. I'd, honestly, I <laughs> yeah. didn't. But what I did hear was a mention of, of sin. I heard mention of sin, and there was some mention of judgment. And 
I personally didn't find anything in there that was egregious. I didn't find anything that was over the top. No. Um, and I just thought to myself, I was like, why is that? That I'm not saying in every church that that would have been a problem, but certainly in a large number of churches, if you speak on those things, if you use the S word, sin, or if you say judgment, then there is a kind of reaction, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, you must say repent. You must that say repent or you'll upset some old ladies. you've been a bit of a naughty boy, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, um, and I totally resonated with that. And I, I felt really grieved for you, brother. And um, we are praying that, that the Lord does find you a place to, oh, to minister you. and to, and All to in teach. All timing, yeah. Um, Gareth also runs an Instagram page called Bible Books Theology, um, which is if you are one of those guys, I know we've got Brother um, Sergeant here, Brother Adrian Sergeant from West Park Church, who is a big Banner of Truth fan and um, is my personal reform books dealer. Um, and if you are that way inclined, you like your theology books, do give him a follow. That's at Bible Books Theology. Very good stuff. Um, but I'm going to take a moment to introduce um, Pastor Dia Moodley. So, Dia, um, it's a real pleasure to have you here with us this evening. And um, we would just love to hear a bit of background to your story. Because Dia, I've known for about three years now. We met uh, down in London, I think November 2019. And since then, India has been a real source of encouragement for me personally in my journey from leaving Lifespring, where I was previously, to starting this church. And um, also, Dia has a really incredible story himself. I'd love for you to just take a moment and share some of that with us, Dia, if that's okay, brother. Hi, uh, my name is Dia, uh, Dia Moodley. I'm a husband of one, uh, father of two, a grandfather of two. Um, it's a joy to be here, but I certainly don't deserve to be here. Um, I just certainly don't deserve to have anyone listen to anything that I say. Um, I really don't deserve to have a church today. I don't deserve to be a pastor. I deserve nothing. Um, I deserve the great judgment of God for my false prophecies. I deserve the judgment and wrath of God for misleading people. I deserve the wrath and judgment of God for bringing people into a emotional worship that I told them was the Spirit of God. I deserve nothing but the discipline and the chastisement of God for misleading hundreds of people, and not only in this nation, but around the nations of the world. I did that via television. I was on television twice a week in the UK and around the world, preached in conferences in America, and all sorts of places. And I was, by all accounts, a false prophet. And I do not deserve to be here today, no. I don't deserve to be anywhere, uh, let alone s you know, sit amongst people who can open the Bible. I deserve the full judgment of God, yet by God's grace, His amazing mercy, that He's given me an opportunity once again to open up His Word, to unlearn the things that I've learned and to learn again what it means to be truly saved. I don't believe I was properly saved or saved even as a pastor uh, leading a large church. I had full-time staff, TV crew, occupying a 19,000 square foot warehouse as a church. I had armor bearers and security guards. I would preach in nations of the world where the offering was in diamonds. I would, that's the kind of people I was running with, walking with, singing with, and we were promoting a false gospel. We would preach on a, on a, on a, on a, in, a, in, a in a country on a, on a Sunday. We'd raise an offering, and on the Monday we'd be sitting like kings on a beach, 
and enjoying the luxuries and the spoils of ministry. So I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to be sitting here today. What I do have, I'm thankful for. That God not only worked through me and troubling my heart and soul, that God was at the same time working with my dear wife and troubling her and troubling my, my two young daughters and bringing various questions about that we couldn't just provide the answers to. And so uh, I, was re I was relying on my mentors, who eventually were my tormentors, uh, because uh, that's what they were really doing. Touch not the anointed, do my prophets no harm, serve them the way you need to serve them, ask them no questions. And the very things I didn't want to do, I found myself doing the very same things. I said, I will not have people serve me this way. And I ended up being the very same person. You could not get to me on a Sunday morning without getting through 10 armor bearers and three security guards. You could, you could not get to me on a Sunday morning to talk to me. That's the kind of church I led, that's the kind of pastor I was. When I walked into, when I walked into the church, people would say it was a Benny Hinn kind of meeting. That's how they would describe it. And to me, that was the highest accolade ever. I mean, Benny Hinn, wow. And this is the anointing I'm carrying. This is the people that are looking to me. And that's the kind of services we used to have week after week after week. People would call it revival. People would weep and cry. People would fall on their knees and all of that. But I would go home the most broken man every Sunday. The most broken man. People would put wads of money in my hand every Sunday and say, thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the presence of God. We had so much money floating around that we were give, I was giving money away to my armor bearers and people like that every Sunday. But I would go home the most broken man. I didn't tell anybody about it except my wife and speak to God about it. And God was showing me time after time. Am I, sorry, am I taking too long? Here? No, man, go for it. God was showing me time You're after good. time after time how wrong I was, that my wife should not be a pastor, that I should not be doing these things that I'm doing, I should not be talking about this prosperity gospel. But I was such a coward. If I stopped it there and then, what's gonna happen to the church? What's gonna happen to this 19,000 square foot warehouse? What's gonna happen to my luxury car and my TV contracts and all sorts of other things? What's gonna happen to my tour of the United States and other things? Uh, I, was, I was scared, I was afraid to, to do anything about it. Uh, but week after week, month after month, going home, the most broken man. And one day, the Lord broke me. And tomorrow I'll speak to you about that scripture. The Lord broke me and, uh, and, and, and brought me on my knees uh, to surrender my life to him. And that's the moment I began to realize who the one true God is that we sung about tonight. Who the real God the Father is. Who the real God the Son is. And especially if you're coming from a Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith or NAR church, who the real Holy Spirit is. That is not what we said he is in the way we told we, that unless there's these sorts of manifestations, mm. that is not the Holy Spirit. And so I've had to unlearn and relearn to such a point where I couldn't even walk in my city because people would say, ah, that's the man who fell from grace. Because how do you close down a large, successful looking church? How do you walk away from that? Well, people in my city came to the conclusion that the only reason I closed it down is because I must have committed adultery when this, and the Spirit of God had left me. Actually, the opposite. I now understood who the real Holy Spirit is Amen. and how the Holy Spirit manifests, especially the person Wonderful. and the work of the Spirit. Wonderful. Come on. That's, that's so encouraging. Thank you for sharing that. Because actually, I, um, I followed DR on Facebook, and it must be really difficult, because I think I saw somebody commenting on one of your posts the other week who knew you back when you were a prosperity minister, and they were like, Pastor, what's happened to you? Yeah, that's that really, must be so difficult. That's, that's really interesting. I was sharing that with my wife. Uh, this woman said that when, she, when I walked into the room, uh, 
there was such an anointing that I carried and they would sense the holiness of God when I walked into a room and she said um, what has happened to me <laughs> why have I why have I stooped to this level now where I'm picking scriptures apart and expositing a text for what it truly is and how it should be exposited and in her eyes like the people who said I've fallen into adultery and the, and the grace of God and sorry the Holy Spirit has left me that's her conclusion her conclusion is that the Spirit of God has left me why because I'm now expositing a text and drawing people to understand what the text really means so let's look at the text let's 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 exposit it let's expound it let's let's try to uh, interpret what it means and then from that interpretation bring a good understanding and from that understanding bring an application and that's what we we were lacking in the Pentecostal charismatic church we were putting everything down to an experience and we couldn't really give an answer for anything we believe I mean people would walk into the church that I was leading I mean everything that you saw at the Toronto thing we were, we were not as bad as that but people were literally crawling on the floor and doing all sorts of things and I allowed it to happen because I didn't know what was going on I don't know what was going on. So I would come into the service, like how Benny Hinn comes into the service. I'd watch, I'd watch the, the service on my monitor in my office. The praise and worship would go on. They'd build the people up to the right place they need to be. The lights would be flashing and uh, we'd talk about various sorts of things. And the right time, the people would come to fetch me. And I'd come onto the stage. And if I come onto the stage and I told you today is the end of the world, everybody would believe me. Because they're in a spell. I've got them in a spell. I've got them under a spell. And whatever I tell them then, they'd listen to me. And so um, that's what we're doing. So that's what this lady was describing, yeah, that yeah. type of atmosphere uh, which, which we thrived on. And the, the, the experiences that came from that atmosphere is what she was talking about. Okay. And that was the dangerous atmosphere. The dangerous atmosphere it's so said. charged, isn't it? Because I think what we want to get into today as well is some of the background. So we, we talk about things like the prosperity gospel, about NAR and things like that. And that's, that's all well and good. And these are kind of helpful distinctions. But I think sometimes when you throw names like that around, but you don't really define define what they mean um, we can just get into kind of like name calling and like that isn't always as helpful either so we want to get into some of that and why it is that we think those movements are to be avoided and are and do carry a, a level of danger to them but what Dee is saying I think is absolutely correct is that um, I don't for one minute believe that there's no emotional element to encountering God I think you can swing so far the other way because of fear of what emotion can do that you can actually lose the sense of actually, well, God created my emotions. Yes, they were tarnished by sin, but now they're being redeemed. And in, in worship, my emotions do get stirred. And that's good. And that's something we, we don't want to push away. However, the background that we have come from, and particularly you know, me too, um, I don't want to say everything in my background is bad, and I think the Lord uses all things, God is sovereign. But one thing that I did learn in the kind of NAR movement, the New Apostolic Reformation, which essentially believes that God has, um, God has instilled and brought about new apostles who have the same level of authority as the first century apostles. Now, you don't, I don't want to get into a debate tonight on, on all of that, um, but suffice to say, they believe these apostles are of a level like Peter or James or John, and that they are to rule in the church and what have you. So in that movement, one thing I, I did pick up was that um, 
in order for God to move, there had to be a certain level of emotionalism in the room and you, the, the atmosphere, and they will call it the presence of God. And you actually can become really good at manipulating. Um, it's so sad, but you can become really adept at manipulating a group of people um, and to actually do certain things and to react in a certain way especially if you're a musician like myself you can you can take emotion up so high that people begin to kind of lose their reasoning faculties to a particular degree and i used to run a school of ministry where essentially i would kind of i didn't mean to be doing it if you know what i mean i wasn't intentionally thinking i want to mislead some people uh, like i don't think many of the guys in the ministry are doing it because they're thinking some are, but I don't think all of them are there trying to manipulate people, but they learn it, kind of learnt behaviour. And so I've realised this after a while that I was like, what I'm doing is actually trying to elicit a certain response from people to like make them cry when I'm praying for them. I know that if I say a certain word or if I use a tone of voice when I'm praying for somebody that that will elicit that kind of emotional response and I thought that's what I needed in a way for me to know that God was moving and so my idea of who the Holy Spirit was and his work was all to do with the emotions and all to do with reaction and that's where it gets dangerous is where we start using people's emotions and manipulating them to do certain things that's actually not the Spirit of God that's that's a different kind of activity and control is the word. I don't know if you've ever sensed that, like you've been to a Christian meeting and you almost felt like the person on the platform's playing us like a keyboard. Um, that's manipulation and there's a difference. And so I don't want for us to just be like slamming every other, this is what this is about. We're not trying to just say that everybody out there is wrong and like any emotion is wrong. It isn't that, but it's just being aware that, you know, without even meaning to sometimes as Christians, we can, we, we can begin to try and control and manipulate. One of the things I've realized coming out of this, um, so um, we have what's called worship leaders in the church, and this may not be relevant immediately to the topic at hand. We have what's called worship leaders in the church. We had we had worship leader who was very gifted uh, in, in, in music, in singing. We had a large choir. We had uh, lots of musicians, and, and people would talk about the, the worship or the songs and, and, and the level of worship. Coming out of that, I realized that the worship leader in my church is not the person who's playing the guitar. The worship leader in my church is not the one who's leading the song. The worship leader in my church is me. I don't have to sing. What do I mean by that? The pastor of the church, the teaching elder of the church, sets the depth of the worship by the depth of the word. So he's the worship leader in the church. So the church can rise in triumphant worship without a single instrument. The church can rise in triumphant worship without a gifted singer. Because the more you take somebody into the depth of God's word, the higher they rise in worship of God. Because worship really is what? Worship is a response to revelation. That's what it is. True. Take it on if you want to. That's what worship is. Worship is a response to revelation. Revelation of who? Revelation of the grand subject of the Bible is Jesus Christ. The revelation of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the deeper we take people into who, into the Bible as to who God is. And that's why people like Spurgeon used to talk about uh, as a man digging for nuggets in the ground. We dig into God's word to bring you God's word on the Lord's day. So that when you see Jesus Christ, you rise in triumphant worship of him. And for that, so I, I'm 
I'm just saying that the worship leader is actually yeah, come on, is the pastor of the church, is the teaching elder of the church. I think so. He so takes true. them into deep, and that's the difference between the emotionalism that comes from the music and and, and the atmosphere, and and the, the smoke machines. But uh, uh, it's realizing now that if I if I teach God's word and rightly divide it and expose it and expound it the way God asks me to and teaches me to, and people see Jesus Christ, they will rise in triumphant worship, and I will do nothing about it. I've been absolutely set free. You, if, if, I could go on talking about this hours and hours and hours. <laughs> Every week I got to come up with a new way of how to keep these people entertained in the old church. Every week. That's why we put the lights in. That's why we put the smoke machine in. That's why we got the, the choir to hit a new crescendo that people could say, whoo, goosebumps. That wasn't the Holy Ghost. That was goosebumps. You get it? Even when Tom Jones sings. <laughs> it's not the Holy Ghost. We said it's the Holy Ghost. And so we, we, we teach people how to reach that crescendo, how to reach that, uh, and, and unless you're playing with the Kurzweil uh, keyboard and a certain strings, it doesn't sound like it's anointed of the Holy Ghost. I've been totally set free from that. Get up, the teaching elder gets up every Sunday morning, uh, preaches God's word and sits down and let God do, let God do the business of working on men's hearts. So and good. people come with that attitude. People come with that attitude. You know, it's to say to the preacher, uh, please give us nothing else today. We don't want to hear about your week. We don't want to hear good anecdotes. We don't want to hear stories. Teach us God's word for that's why we've come. We're a people hungry for God's word. Give us God's word. When that person sees the grand subject of the Bible, that person will rise in triumphant worship of God. Wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue on with a, a bit of a, a jerk in the conversation now. What I want to get onto is, is kind of ask the question, why, like, why is this issue of clarity in the gospel? Why is that issue important? Why should we be talking about that? I'm going to ask that to you. I think the bottom line is, is what we actually believe is, is what either leads to error or to salvation. So, I mean, I'll, I'll expand on this a bit more, but what I believe about who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, that really matters for salvation. That is a, a salvation issue. If I believe that Jesus just died on the cross because I'm awesome and he just wanted to show me how good I am, I, that hasn't brought me to a place of repentance or faith. But if I believe that I'm such a rebel, I'm such a piece of work, and I deserve nothing but the judgment of God and, and hell and lake of fire for eternity. And, and, I, and, and by the way, the, the longer I've gotten in life, the more I've realized how true that is. Because I think you become more aware of, of, of your sin in the past when you look back and think, I can't believe I thought that was okay. And this happens more and more as you, as you, as you go through that process of sanctification. That the fact that I, that I believe that, that I deserve judgment and yet Christ voluntarily died on the cross in my place and paid the full price for my sin and the wrath of God was poured out on him so that the gift of faith which is put in me by the Holy Spirit enabling me not through any work of my own but through the Holy Spirit enabling me to be regenerated and believing in Christ on the cross dying in my place that for me is that's what leads to salvation nothing else now I would say when I went to theological college about nearly 13 years ago 
obviously, you know, my kind of theological leanings were kind of Calvinistic, and I thought, I went to college thinking, I bet I'm going to have loads of debates about predestination and, and election and things like that. I was just kind of ready to have lots of big debates on, you know, Calvinist versus Arminian, I, or so I thought. But I couldn't believe it, the fact that I arrive at college, and the thing I end up debating constantly, non-stop, is the fact that Christ died on the cross as an atonement for sins. Yeah. There were so many people arguing against it. On the one hand, you had people who were saying things like, well, they're just denying it, saying, well, no, I, God, God wouldn't punish sinners. He's, you know, a loving God wouldn't punish sinners and send them to a lost eternity. And Christ died really just to, to show us how much God loves us. Yeah. So that's real obvious, just kind of like just universalism, just kind of just put it out the window. But the other, the other side was a bit more subtle. It was more kind of along the lines of, yeah, I mean, it's a model of the atonement, isn't it? I mean, you could preach, you know, that Christ died to sh show his love for us. Christ died in order to set us free from the power of sin and death or, or you know, as a ransom. You, you, you don't have to preach substitute to be preaching the gospel. So it's kind of, yeah, you seem to be really hat up on substitutionary atonement, don't you? And I noticed within the charismatic church, this was particularly strong, and people would say to me, and look, it's the conservative evangelicals who are more worried about that sort of thing. You know, as charismatics, we're more interested in the, in the works that Jesus did, you know, about healing the sick and raising the dead and, you know, like, all that sort of thing. And, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, hang on, this... And this was going on throughout my ministry, and I, I've been in you know larger churches and smaller churches, a whole range of different type of churches in the last decade. And yet, what I start to see more and more was a denial of the atonement of Christ. I noticed resistance to it because. And to answer your question, why is it so necessary? It's necessary because in it the righteousness of God is revealed, which means you have to reveal the righteousness of God so that everybody else who hears it recognizes that they're unrighteous. Yeah. Unless I recognize I'm unrighteous, then my heart has not been changed. I'm still under, uh, under judgment. Yeah. So we have to be clear about, and you know, we'll go into it more tomorrow in more depth, but for me, it, it's extremely important that we're really clear about the fact that if I'm preaching the gospel, three things is going to happen. Or if any of us are preaching the gospel, three things are going to happen to any church. That those who are lost, who God is calling to, to himself, they will get saved. Their hearts will be convicted under the preaching of the gospel, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They'll hear the gospel. They'll get saved. You'll have genuine converts. So there's firstly, people will get saved. Secondly, the saints, the true Christians, will be built up in the faith. The, the, the benefits of the gospel is what, is what we nurture ourselves on. We, we are built up in the gospel. Like I have to remind myself of the gospel every day. I don't know about you, but I have to keep reminding myself what yeah. Christ has done for me. When, when someone preaches the gospel, I never sit there and think, oh, not again. I think, praise God, I need to hear this until I am with the Lord. So we're building up the saints in the faith. Thirdly, and I think this is really important, thirdly, when you preach the gospel, fully it scares off the goats <laughs> it scares off it's the goats true. and I'll tell you what there are so many churches and as an Anglican minister of the years I was thinking the reason why you've got all these terrible cantankerous unsaved people in PCCs and wardens and this this is basically <laughs> a church full of non-Christians why? because they don't preach the gospel they're not clear about the gospel yeah. you never hear the word repent never say the R word it might upset a few people never talk about any of that stuff just turn up God thinks you're awesome here have some communion and a, and tea and a biscuit and come back next week and that's why you've got churches throughout the Church of England that are just full of unregenerate people. And I'm sorry if that's harsh, but that is, 10 years of, of ordained experience would be that there are more unsaved people in the Church of England than saved, in my opinion. Yeah, wow. I think it's um, clarity for me is something that has been really important in the last few years. Um, 
I feel like I've done a lot of growing in the last couple of years of just being able to get deeper into God's word. But, but the clarity of the gospel for me was important because it just never made sense. Like the gospel, I'd heard it because I was raised in church. Mum and dad are Christians involved in leading the church we planted here. And church was wonderful, but I, I never really understood the gospel. I never really understood it because I think what I always heard, whether, whether it was what was preached or whether it was just what I heard, but what I always heard was Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. He died for you. Jesus loves you and Graham he loves you so much that he died for you and in my head I'm thinking if he loved me so much why did he die yeah. I'm like my mum loves Makes me loads yeah. but if she was to come and say Graham I'm going to die for you today I would say please don't you're yeah. my mum <laughs> yeah. don't do that you know um, it never added together and why didn't it because crucial details were being left out why were they being left out well we'll get to that but you can see how when you take crucial details out of a story or a plot line the plot line gets rubbish really quickly and doesn't make sense it's like think of a fairy tale you know if i said oh, i've got a wonderful fairy tale to tell you but please tell it me you know i'm reading the story to my my uh, children before they go to bed i say oh, please daddy tell us story. well here's the story there was once a king there was once a king and this king loved this maiden with all his heart he loved her so much he loved her so much that one day he died for her the end he threw they himself go, off a cliff for, daddy, her, for no please, reason yeah. please go and find a better story daddy we're not going to sleep yet because that's rubbish it's a bad story it doesn't make sense and see that's what a lot of people hear when Christians tell them the gospel Jesus loves you he loves you so so much you're so wonderful that he died for you and actually we miss out crucial details we don't what, I mean what do you think of the king in that story what are your thoughts about the king he seems a bit irrational, doesn't he? He seems a bit emotionally driven. Um, what are your thoughts about the maiden? We don't really know much about her, but I mean, she must be beautiful. If this king has chosen to, to die for her, he loves her so much, she must be a real stunner. But actually, the gospel message is not a message about a maiden who is wonderful and deserving of the king's love. In fact, this maiden in the gospel story is a criminal. She's a criminal and she's locked in a tower because she's been convicted and found guilty of multiple transgressions, not against just anybody, but against the king of the domain in which she lives. Okay, and the only way that she can get free is by those crimes being paid for one way or another. And now the king's love looks different, doesn't it? Because now the king loves her so much that he takes all of the penalty and punishment she's sentenced to death she's imprisoned the king loves her so much that he takes those crimes upon himself he transfers the full penalty of her debt onto himself he dies in her place and she's freed and she's freed and then like narnia the great deep magic they call it in narnia we don't call it in the bible that don't worry i'm not preaching magic to you but in Narnia, isn't it true, it says Aslan came back because he'd understood the deep magic. And in a sense, it's what the king does because he paid such a perfect sacrifice. He's risen to life again by God. He comes back and he marries that free maiden. 
And, and now we see, hang on a minute, that maiden, there was nothing in that maiden that deserved the love. The love is magnificent because of the king who loved her. And so now we've got these details in play, the story makes more sense, and now we, saying that you are that maiden, you understand more about the king's love for you. Wow, that's incredible, I didn't deserve that love. It wasn't just because I was so awesome and amazing. But actually, I didn't deserve it. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. But this is the thing about, for me, why the clarity in the gospel is so important, is that actually we rob people. We're robbing people when we tell them a half gospel. Because why are we leaving those details out? Why are we leaving those? We're leaving it out, I think, because we want to sell somebody a bill of goods. We want them to say yes to Jesus. And, and that's a good desire. Like, I, I think it's good for us to want people to come to Christ. But I think pragmatically we think, hey, if I leave out the details about you know, how utterly wretched and sinful this person is and how in need of salvation they are, and actually, if they don't choose Christ, then they're going to go to hell. Just grab me my Bible right there. It's just a yellow one right there. Why do we do this? Why do we, thanks buddy, why do we leave these things out? I think, this is my take, out of a desperation, out of a desire to see somebody pray the prayer, say yes to Jesus, however you want to put it, but in so doing, we rob them of the actual magnificence of the gospel. And, and when I realized, actually, wow, I am that maiden, and I am a sinner, and I have committed multiple crimes against God who loves me and I don't deserve his love but he does love me and he has set me free and he's taken all of my sins upon himself so that there's none left to take anymore and I don't have to bear anymore like that for me made the message a whole lot more beautiful and made me love the king a lot more than I did before because I think that's my take anyway. I think we leave out these things through fear of somebody saying, well, I could never believe in a God like that who would judge sin. I could never believe in a God who is wrathful. And, and you know, for that reason, I think we often rob people of the truths of the gospel. We forget that there's, a, there's not just a John 3.16, there's a John 3.36. You know, we love to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe on him might not perish but have eternal life. But we neglect to say, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You know, the, these, these are verses we like to keep in the shadows. We don't want to let them run amok and turn the people in church away. But these are the verses that really frame the love of God and really help us to see our God for who he is yeah, and I think I think we do a disservice to him when we leave these things out um, dear how about you clarity in these issues why is it yeah, important we need we need a clarity because we're seeing a lot of as our brothers have just been speaking we're seeing a lot of people coming to a a false gospel a false conversion and so when we look at the church today in a similarly to our um, I was pastoring a church. Uh, people who look at the multitudes of people and say, oh, these are all genuine believers. They're not. Uh, over 90% of them were false converts because they came to a false understanding of who Jesus Christ is. When I'm preaching in my city, um, in the public square, um, you'll have Christians very often from Pentecostal charismatic churches or Church of England or URC or something walk up and say, hey, why don't you tell them something good, man? I know, because this is, sounds very dreary and drab. This is, tell them something good. And, and, and those words tell you exactly 
how they've grown up in church and their understanding of conversion. There is no euangelion, there is no good news without the bad news. The good news makes no sense without the... The reason why it's good news is because there is bad news. Yeah. And that's what makes the good news good news. So you can't begin with the good news and say, oh, this is this. Exactly as our brother said, oh, Jesus loves you. There's a, there's a brother uh, laboring with us in our church. Um, and he's, um, he was a missionary from South Korea. And he'd walk around with the cross um, in our city with us. And he'd go, go, go to people and give them a track and say, Jesus loves you. And that guy would go through tracks like he would not believe. Jesus loves you. Jesus. And people said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And week after week, it used to bother me. You know, I, I need to address this with this brother. But finding a way of addressing him and finding a way to keep him encouraged, and one day I did. And I said to him, brother, if, you can, if you're going to tell a sinner Jesus loves you, he's going to say thank you. And he's going to continue with his sin. Uh, and exactly, we're leaving out the details. And, and he, he came to an understanding of that. Um, you know, kicking and fighting, obviously, but he came to an understanding of it. And, and uh, I, I, I do hope wherever he's serving now, he, he's not doing that. Because we can't, be t- we can't carry on telling people Jesus loves them without telling them the details like our brother is saying. So there is no good news without the bad news. Yeah. What is the bad news? The bad news is you're an absolute sinner. <laughs> and you deserve the wrath of God. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve the punishment of yeah. God. You don't deserve heaven. You deserve hell. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. You're, uh, and, but for the grace of God. And so we, we, we build our narrative. We weave our tapestry. We paint the picture before them. But the picture is a bad news for us. And there is no good news without the bad news. We have to preach on sin. Uh, and really, uh, um, uh, as... Um, Whitfield and Wesley even, I mean, you, 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 Whitfield would say, like our brothers, uh, I, I preached in this church today and they told me don't come back. And he says, I preached in that church in the afternoon and I had to crawl out of the window because people were, were, were aiming to grab me. And I, I went to that church, I said, we'll never have you back again. And we went to the other church, I will never have you back again. And so he decided I'm not going to preach in any church in Bristol. So he decides to take to a hills called Kingswood and the coal mines are there. And he begins to preach. And if you read in his diary, he says, out of the ground came black men. Now you, you ask yourself, there were no black men there at that time. The closest they came to was the Bristol Harbor, uh, where the slave trade was taking place. So who are, who are the black men? They were, these were indigenous white folks who were working in the coal mines, coming out of the ground. And he says, the, these black men had white railroad tracks on their face. What are the white railroad tracks? Tears, exactly. They were crying tears, running home and grabbing their families and saying, you have to listen to this man. He's talking about us and he's talking about the way we can be better. And he's talking about firstly sin and what sin is. And then obviously the good news. And I believe that's how we should be preaching. And guess what? It's not going to fill a church. It's not going to fill a church. The church wants to hear, people want to hear how good they are. People want to have a pat on the back and they want to hear the Joel Osteen uh, thing and they want to see the Joel Osteen smile they want to see people with a positive attitude and a positive mentality tell us something good we want to come to church we've had a difficult week we've had a rough week the children have been at flu and I've been at camp and all sorts of things tell me something good pastor and there you are telling them uh, about the discipline of God and the judgment of God and the wrath of God and people don't want to hear that and so I would say 
um, no matter how big you are or small you are as a church. If you have a pastor who's continuously preaching God's word, you gather around him and you encourage him and say, Pastor, that's what we need to do. We don't worry about anything else. Should we rent a building the rest of our life? Praise be to God. Should we be 10 people, 15 people for the rest of our life? Praise be to God. As long as we're preaching the gospel, we, we, are, we are being faithful to the word and calling, calling sinners to salvation and using the R word, yeah. repentance and telling people who they are, then praise God, we're behind you 100%. I think it was you actually said, you know, come on. Yeah, I think it was you who said a few weeks ago, you were like, Cause, uh, I'll be really honest with you. Like, um, it's, been a, it's been a journey for, yeah. for me personally the last three years. And um, not here to sort of spill my guts on everything that's happened. But it is hard, I think, when you, um, you know, in your line of work, I guess it is. I'm yeah. a pastor. When when you've been used to a certain type of church, you've been used to like 300 people on a Sunday, and that you know, like you said, armor bearers, people getting your flat white when you're walking into the auditorium. Just you're used to it, and then you know you come out of that, and you're doing your best to not. And none of us are perfect, but you're doing your best to be a good shepherd and to to. To, to give people God's word and you look out and there's 20 people can I just add and in the flesh it's hard can I, can, can I just add something one of the reasons we, we, we may not be talking specifically about this but you know just for you to pray I'm a pastor so I I rely on the prayers of my church for me I rely on them praying for me here's, here's the thing on Sunday morning somebody in this church will get up and bring a, a sermon right whatever job you do what, is, what job do you do brother what do you do what do you do IT electrician plumber the brother was a plumber on Friday when you left your plumbing job, the tap that you put in place is still there. Uh, the wrench that you left on the floor is in the right place. The tape that you used to put around the thing when you connected, the white tape, is still in the right place. You lock the door, you leave the house, you say, you come back on Monday, I'm gonna continue with my job. You come back on Monday, nobody's touched the job. The tape is in the right place, the wrench is right there, the tap is in its place. No one's touched the job at all. Now consider a pastor. He comes on Sunday with a sermon. By the time the benediction comes, and even, even before the benediction is pronounced, and after the benediction is pronounced, guaranteed, somebody's at work pulling out everything that he's sown into <laughs> <Yeah>. your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. And he comes back the next week, and he starts all over again. <laughs> Why? Because he's sowing life, because God's word is life. He's sowing life into your life, and the one who's busy uprooting it is the enemy of God, he's Satan. Mm. He's trying to pull out everything that the, that the preacher and the pastor has put into your life. And there's the pastor, he comes again next week, and he comes back a week again, <laughs> and he comes back a week again. Is it tidy? Oh, for sure. Do you get an emotionally drained? For sure. Do you feel like you're let down? For sure. Do you feel like, Lord, where are you bringing the people? They're not there. For sure. All those <laughs> things are there. So pray for your pastor. If he's laboring in God's word, pray for him in that sense. So I just meant to bring that in. Thank you, brother. That's amazing. I like that one. <laughs> I, yeah, I might use that on Sunday. So. Um, yeah, well, we've got you preaching on Sunday, so you could be the one that uh, has to fix the tap. But um, yeah, um, you know, I, I think, like Pastor Diaz said, and, and I think you said this a few weeks ago as well, is that um, I think the new season we're moving into nationally is an interesting one. I, oh, I, do, think, I do think the Synod uh, is going to have a bigger and broader impact. For sure. perhaps we realize but I do think it's moving us all into a season where basically faithful churches are going to be smaller um, I, I don't think I don't know if that will last forever but that's the way it feels at the moment and um, and that's okay 
yeah. you know I guess you know we can get onto some more stuff about this later in terms of what we see going forwards for churches but that's the way I see yeah. it you know as you if you want to be faithful to God's word you do risk um, losing people along the way which is sad but I think it is a price you have to pay um, in order to be faithful. The, the, the number of people, I mean, we've, sorry. Yeah, come on. Yeah, um, it's not going to fill the church. And that's not to say that we don't trust God to fill it. If, if that's God's will, then praise be to the Lord for that. You know, but most people today, and this is where we are in our current context. Um, I've had many people even come to my church and say, oh, we heard about you and, you know, we heard about your sermons and a lot of them are also coming because, oh, we heard that, you know, you were anti-vaccine uh, and, you know, you all, all, all kinds of stuff. We heard so many things. Um, oh, we want to come to your church. I didn't even know there's something called um, Churches Without Fear. There's a website called Churches Without Fear. I didn't even know our church was listed on that website. I don't know who put us there. Somebody put us there. So we got people traveling all over to come to see who's the church without fear. And they were coming. But here's the thing. That, um, even with them, they're not prepared to sit under good teaching. So firstly, we're talking about those who would come and not even hear the gospel. They don't want to hear a good gospel message, a sound gospel message. There are people who are proclaiming to be Christian and still don't want to sit under sound teaching. They want to wander around from place to place, trying to uh, satisfy every fad and fantasy they have about the church. And so we, we, we do pray that uh, the Lord does a mighty work in this United Kingdom. Uh, this land is, as I was speaking to the brother over our, our meal today, I cried many times to the Lord, take me away from this country. I don't want to be here. The, the ground is so hard. The people are so cold. And even amongst our reformed people, they're equally frozen. <laughs> they're bad. Real talk. If you, got in a, if you, you, get, in, you get into a reformed prayer meeting, man, it's like, it's bad. There's no, that's, and that's why the Presbyterians are called the frozen chosen. Yeah. <laughs> it's because, and I, I, I get that. And I want to I wanna make sure I'm not talking about we were talking about it over, over our meal today. And I, I said, and as our brother said, not everything we did was wrong in the Pentecostal church. Uh, there were people that were genuinely saved in the, in the Pentecostal church. Yeah, come on. Um, you know, Benny Hinn preaches a false gospel, but there's the one part where he tells people Jesus died for their sin. And, and God would use that part mm -hmm. to bring someone to salvation. So God used that even where I was preaching a false gospel to bring somebody to salvation. Um, but... You know, I, I, I was just saying, Lord, take me, take me out of here to a place where people will appreciate the word. Or you gather around people who love the Lord. Uh, we were in Kenya in December to do a funeral, and the people brought food from from the village. They were cutting, literally, taking their crops and preparing food for us. And then they asked me a question: Do you want to eat first, or do you want to preach first? <laughs> that means they won't That's leave. A good question. You. If you're a preacher, they won't leave you without preaching first. You have to preach to them. You have to bring them a word. No, we can't let you go today. Why? You have to preach the word to us. Here it's totally opposite. <laughs> totally opposite. <laughs> but brothers and sisters in Christ, be encouraged in the Lord. There is an elect in this united kingdom. Amen. There is an elect. That's why you are here. There is an elect in Wolverhampton. There is an elect in Birmingham. There is an elect in Bristol. If there was not an elect of God, this church would not be in existence. Other churches will not be in, in existence. There is an elect of God. Yeah. And we must, we must do what we must do to learn God's word and go out and preach uh, so that the elect of God may, may come to salvation. Now, how do you know who the elect are? We'll leave that for another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to answer that one. Um, but yeah, so we, we're going to dive more into Galatians 1 tomorrow, but I do want to just open it up briefly this evening because we talked a little bit about the vagaries in the gospel that when we leave out certain details, um, then 
before we know it, we can actually be preaching a different gospel. So let's just read this together, shall we? Galatians 1, 6 to 9. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. And Paul is, is writing here to the Galatian church. And if you know the, the context of the book, there are these people aren't there, that are troubling the Galatians. What are they called, this group of people? And we call them the Judaizers, don't we? And they were adding to the gospel message, weren't they? And Paul says, he says, listen, you're, des you're quickly deserting him. Now, I think that's interesting. That's the first thing that caught my eye about this text, is that in them deserting from the message, they were actually not just deserting from a message, but that Paul says they were deserting from Christ. And I think that really is the, the reason we're doing this conference, is that it's not small fry. I think a lot of people, like Dia said, you think you're, split, you're splitting hairs when you start saying, well, there are false gospels out there. Well, you're just a bit of a negative guy. You know, it's probably because you're hurt. Right, you've got some orphan-hearted tendencies. You probably just need some healing. Um, believe you me, I used to teach this stuff. It's called spiritual gaslighting. Um, no, it is. It's spiritual gaslighting. You know, and we we think you're just kind of negative, Nelly, and you should probably chill out. But Paul says, listen, if you're running away to a different gospel, not that there is another one, as he says, but if you're running away to a gospel that's not the one that the apostles preach, then you aren't just departing a message but actually you're departing from the one who saved you departing from Christ and I think that is the key issue for us as Christians is what gospel are we believing uh, what God, we should know shouldn't we we should want to ask that question how would I define the gospel if, if somebody put me on the spot said Mike what's the gospel would, would I be able to tell them what the Bible says about that and um, we then begin to see as well how just changing a few details like I did in that fairy tale, leaving out a few things, leaves you with a kind of half-cut gospel, doesn't it? And is, is a half-cut gospel actually the gospel? Can it save? Because this is what I used to do. I was, I was not particularly kind of Benny Hinn style, but I was really encouraged for a long time with, with a guy um, who used to go out and do healing on the streets and very famous. And you'd go and see people healed on the streets. And I was so encouraged by that because I love the boldness. I love just going up to somebody and talking to them about Jesus or praying for them or seeing God heal somebody. And so I would just start doing it. I would start copying what I saw. And um, I, I saw that the gospel that he preached would basically be, listen, hey, have you got any pain in your body? And they would say, well, you know, I've got a bit of pain in my back. Okay, well, listen, let me just pray for you. Let's see, see what God's going to do. And then you pray for the person. And occasionally, you actually see the person healed, which is amazing because God will always 
be faithful to his word, won't he? You know, even if the minister's a bit crooked, the Lord can still be faithful to his promises. You pray for them, the back gets healed, and then what do you say? Listen, man, God loves you so much. See you later. <laughs> and that would be the gospel presentation. And we can see there that uh, there's, no, there's no repentance. There's no turning to Christ. There's just a God loves you. Be blessed. And so we can see that that kind of a gospel, actually, how could it save? Because there's no moment of conviction of sin. There's no moment of realizing, hey, do you know what? I stand under the judgment of God. I need a savior. There's none of that. There's just the kind of good stuff. And so you can see how easy it is to kind of get off track. And before you know it, you're not really actually believing in the same gospel that the apostles preached. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to comment on immediately in the text that jumps out to you. I think really, I mean, the thing which always struck me was the fact that he says that if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as in let him go to hell, basically. And if you say that to someone nowadays, they'd be absolutely mortified that you'd say that. And yet he says it twice, doesn't he? Because he says, it, I'll, just, I'll just say it again. If anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to one received, let him go to hell. And he says it twice. And I was just like, this is, so, this is so important and serious. Why is it important and serious? Because you're going to hell the same hell as the person who's preaching this false gospel. And that's, that's why it matters. Like he's saying, look, this is really serious. Someone who's misleading someone by preaching a false gospel means that person is, is going to hell. And the person that, that, that is receiving that false gospel and believing it, they also are lost as well. Mm. And like, it's re this is like spiritual life and death stuff. Yeah. Um, so, in a folks ask, you say, how come when you're standing in the public square, um, how, how are you able to answer every question? So I have a signboard that says, ask me any question, which means I've got to be prepared to answer any question. So how am I preparing to answer any question? Do I, am, I, am I sitting in my study the entire time, learn, trying to learn every answer? Well, yes and no. The, the reason I say that is because when it comes to, the, to, to religion and faith in the world, there are only two religions in the world. You may say, how can that be? Because we can list a number of them. No, the, the, if, you, if you believe what Paul is saying here, there are only two religions in the world. One, you save by grace through faith in Christ. Two, works. So every religion outside of, outside of Christianity is works. Hinduism, works. Islam, works. Jehovah's Witness, works. Mormonism, works. Roman, Catholic, Roman Catholicism, works. Every so that's how you that's how you begin to form your argument now. This is how you get your apologetics. There, you don't have to know everything about Mormonism. You don't have to know everything about Jehovah's Witness. All you need to know is that it's works involved, and anything that has works involved to add to your salvation is no salvation. And that's the case that Paul is making here, and he's making the case so strong that actually says towards the end of of the book, they'd rather be uh, castrated. He says, you, you rather if you want to cut cut all the way, he says. Uh, you know, he's making a dramatic point here, really. He, does, he, does, he doesn't really want them to do harm to themselves in that way, but he's trying to make a point here. You, you, this is how dangerous this is. That's what he's saying here. This is how dangerous it is if we're not careful. And people might say we're nitpicking over words. Oh, no, we must. We must nitpick over words because these are important things to us. 
we, we, can't, we can't agree with the Council of Trent, which was formed really to, to, to confront the Reformation. We can't agree with the Council of Trent who says, no, we believe that everybody who does not believe that grace by faith through Christ plus uh, or add works to it, if you don't believe them, then they're accursed. They're an anathema. It was, it was, it was created to, to counteract Luther and the Reformation. But what does Paul tell us here? Paul says that another gospel, which is not even a gospel at all, they are an anathema. That's anathema. Now, if you if you speak to it from the from the the context of Roman Catholicism, we, you know we understand that. I'm not sure how far your knowledge runs um, regarding that, but um, it, there's so much works involved, you know. Uh, and so Paul is making the case here that this work is not required. Uh, there's no need to be circumcised. This extra work that you're trying to do to be saved is not required. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Yeah. You're saved by Him, for Him, and from Him. Yeah. And that's the way, that's what we need to say. You need to, yeah. You're saved by God, from God. God sent His Son to save you from His own wrath. And, and that's important to, to say. If, 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 you, if you left your own end, um, the Westminster uh, Catechism, question 18, talks about what is the state of man uh, concerning um, the fall of mankind? What, what state are we now in? And the answer is given is mankind is in a state of misery. Every, every sinner is in a state of misery. He's in a state of misery because he's separated from God. And he's, he's in a state of misery because he's inwardly a sinner. He doesn't become a sinner, he's already a sinner. So we don't, we, don't, we don't sin later on in our lives. We're already sinners. We're born sinners. As Vodi Bakum would say, we are vipers and diapers. Okay? So that's my grandson. My, 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 my grandson is four and a half, sorry, seven months. He's my youngest grandson. Uh, Joshua Joseph Ruben Mikhailov, that's his full name. Ezra is his older brother. You ask Ezra. Ezra is five. He's going to be five this year. You ask him. He, at five, he has a concept and an idea of what sin is and repentance is. He knows. We always talk like this. Man, that's a viper and a diaper. Uh, you, you can Google Gaga all you want over the children and how cute you are. Behind that cute smile is a child that will bash you over the head if he has an opportunity. Huh? <laughs> He's a viper in a diaper. He's a sinner in, 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 in nappies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, and so <laughs> sorry, I don't, know, I don't know how we got onto this. Uh, but <laughs> There's a Reformed Baptist in the house. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry if I'm messing up your theology anyway. But, uh, that, that what, that's what needs to be said. You're in a state of misery. Now question one of, of the Westminster uh, Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? The answer given, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that enjoying Him forever, compared to the misery that sinful man is, is totally opposite worlds. And the sinful man in his misery can only come to enjoy God through Jesus Christ and His atoning work, through, mm. the, through, the, through, the, through the free gift of God, through the justification that He speaks about, which is God acting in mercy and grace to impute righteousness upon the unrighteous, that we may be saved and, and enjoy that life with God. Amen to that, yeah. Yeah, I think, to draw to a close now before we finish up, I think the main thing we're seeing here is the importance for each of us as Christians to know the gospel, to know what it is, and that's hopefully what we'll unpack more of tomorrow, know positively what the gospel is. And that also Paul is saying, listen, there are false gospels out there. There are false gospels in 
Galatia right now and there are false gospels here in Wolverhampton there are false gospels in the UK and this is an uncomfortable truth isn't it it sort of rankles with us we don't like the idea that there might be people out there actually preaching a distorted gospel that doesn't save but that's exactly what the Bible says and I think this word here which says uh, they are distorting I think is verse 7 it says yeah some of there's some who want to trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ that that Greek word there is metastrepho and that means to alter now you can alter something ever so slightly can't you and it functions differently I mean if you play a musical instrument you can change the tuning of one string it makes the instrument sound altogether different sometimes it can just be a little tweak but it's altered categorically it's now something different and I think that is really the issue that we want to speak to is that as Christians we need to be so well versed in the positive message of the gospel what is the proclamation of the gospel that when an alteration comes to us and is preached to us we can see it we can see it and we can say that's not the gospel that's been changed and I think for me this is something that has really really helped in the last few years understanding that and not being scared to believe that you know there are people out there that are preaching an altered message and that really concerns me it should concern you it should concern you and what gospel are you believing and is it the one that's preached here I think one thing I will mention before I hand over brother was um, have you heard of what's the guy's name now? My, my, my mind's completely blank The God and the Gospel of Righteousness small book my, his name has completely left my mind now an English minister who died I think about 15-20 years ago now the name will come back to me but he wrote a book called The God and the Gospel of Righteousness and in that book I really recommend you read it he did a survey of the New Testament. He looked through every moment in the New Testament where there was an apostle preaching to either Jews or to Gentiles, preaching the gospel. So we're talking Acts 17, we're talking Acts 2, every place where an apostle preaches the gospel. And do you know how many times God's love is mentioned? Zero times zero times is the love of God mentioned in apostolic preaching in the New Testament now that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us we know that he does we know that it's his love that underpins the whole atoning sacrifice of Christ there's no getting away from it but the crucial thing is that when the gospel was preached to either Jews or to uh, Gentiles the apostles didn't see fit to mention that God loved them but now we seem to believe that that's the core message of the gospel that if you don't say Jesus loves you man you haven't preached the gospel but the apostles would disagree and that's what I'm talking about is these guys were successfully able to bring about the greatest level of growth in the church of Jesus Christ now we know the Lord was responsible for that not these men however they oversaw the greatest growth in the church in a short period of time but they never preached clearly on this message of Jesus loves you mate it was other things it was Christ it was his work it was judgment day it was all these things that were in there and the atoning sacrifice of Christ repentance from sin and I just think it's those sorts of things that sometimes make me go wow okay I need to I need to have a little mini reformation in my mind over what the gospel is 
and how it is that I want to tell people about Christ. What are the in essential ingredients? Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just end with uh, thank you so much for that. Um, I think that um, it would be a real tragedy if you attend something like this and you walk away thinking, oh, that was really good, and you do nothing about it in the sense of preaching the gospel, uh, that, that you think that it's the pastor's responsibility or we're going to hire an evangelist or some other person's going to come in to preach the gospel. I, I would think that's a great tragedy. I think it's everyone's responsibility within the body of Christ to be able to, to be an effective witness, uh, and, and, and that requires having a good understanding of what the gospel is and being able to articulate the gospel. Now, if you don't know how to articulate the gospel, you're not alone. Just be rest assured of that. You're not alone. There are maybe somebody sitting next to you actually doesn't know how to articulate the gospel. I know this. I know it happens in my church that there are people who actually will sit there and say, and keep quiet because they're afraid to show they actually don't know the gospel. And if we're so serious about this, and we want to reach those people, we must be able to say, sorry, I, I, I don't know, can you help me? Uh, hello, my name is so-and-so, I joined this meeting today, I confess, I don't know the gospel. Not, not that you don't know who Jesus Christ, you don't know how to articulate it, you don't know how to go about it. And so, worry your pastor, pull his coat, worry your teaching elder, if you're in another church, worry them and say, teach me about the gospel, teach me how to articulate the gospel. Now that doesn't mean, so you can ask me that question. I'm not going to give you a sentence or two sentences and say, that's what it is. No, it must have the elements. And how you put it into a sentence will come from your particular way of talking, your particular character. It'll come forth like that. Now, the way the brother described the damsel or the maiden in the castle, that's unique to his example. And he, he, brought, he brought the message across with that. But the elements are there. And the elements need to be there. Now, so number one, let me just end with this. If you're not preaching the gospel to anyone, it means one of two things. One, you don't know the gospel. Or two, you don't care that people are going to hell without the gospel. And both are reasons to talk to the church in prayer about it and say, Lord, help us. That's me. Yeah, I'd, I'd second that really. And just, and just to close really, I'll say that for me that the I remember when I was uh, first, just first starting theological college and um, I, I can just remember the, the principal at that time said to me, go and spend time on your knees. And I, and I started praying and, and just spend time you know, with, the, with the Lord praying and uh, I didn't know why, but I just felt I needed to pray. And I just saw this, I had this really vivid picture that came to me of a harvest field. And there was this, this great harvest, and yet there was only a few people harvesting. And there's a whole bunch of people just kind of standing by, leaning on trees and just kind of, kind of watching. And, you know, call it a prophetic picture, whatever you want to call it. But the point is the heart was, was, was the fact that there aren't enough people going out there and, and just sharing the gospel. There's lots of people in churches chatting, and I'm, I'm as guilty as, of that as every, anybody else, but I reckon this is a season we're in now where, you know, it's, it, like you say, it's not going to be about hiring evangelists, it's not going to be about going, actually having special kind of teams that do things that are employed, this is actually, we're it, and I think God is bringing it to a point where he's showing us, actually, there's something I think really powerful about being kind of thrown out of the church buildings, which is an Anglican, I'm seeing that more and more. And I think God is actually wanting us out of these pretty buildings, out into the streets, out and around the people that are, are with us, sharing the gospel, recognizing that people are going to face a lost eternity. And yet there's the opportunity for people to be saved. And, and, and when you think the terrible, I mean, I was just thinking, 
someone I knew, I, and I had an opportunity to share the gospel with them, and I didn't, and, and they died in a traffic accident quite a few years ago. The feeling of that, I can't, I just don't want to ever have to go through that again. The feeling of knowing I could have shared the gospel with that person, but I didn't because it just didn't feel like the right moment, and then they got killed and probably in a lost eternity. And so I feel there's something of, of the urgency in us to, to want to share this good news whilst we have the chance to work whilst it is still day. Amen. But should we say the grace together now? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.